Hebrews 12 is where we're at today. We're going to look, pick up in verse 12 where we left off last week. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. and Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. No root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Father, teach us how to keep running. Father, teach us how to respond to your discipline in ways that bring about practical righteousness in our own life. God, make us holy. Make us at peace with all men. God, I pray that you would make us like Jesus. Please teach us through your word today. In Christ's name, amen. So last week we uh, looked at uh, God's discipline. Remember we've been in this race theme beginning in chapter 12 verse 1. Uh, Paul, or the writer of Hebrews tells us to run with endurance the race that's set before us. Now he's not talking about a physical race, he's talking about the Christian life, right? So seek Christ, act in faith, live in faith, trust Christ, live out your faith. Okay, that's, that's the race, all right? So in chapter 12 verse 1 he tells us, man, you need to lay aside the things that are slowing you down. You may have things in your life that are just weighing you down and you're not running like you ought to. You're not pursuing Christ. You need to lay those off. You may have sin that's ensnaring you. It's tripping you up. You got, you got to put that away. You, you, you may be growing weary and faint-hearted. You know, things are tough. Trials, life, difficulties. And, and you need to look to Jesus who blazed the trail of faith. And you need to look to all the heroes of faith who convinced us that God can be trusted, alright? And then last week we learned that in this race, God is working in us, okay? He's working in us to produce holiness, to produce the fruit of righteousness. You remember verse 10 11 says, uh, Our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time. It seemed best to them, but He, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. That's why God is disciplining us. In other words, everything God is doing in the believer's life is to produce this practical holiness. Now, what do I mean by practical holiness? Well, the Christian life is about faith, right? It, it, it all, the engine of the life, the, of the Christian life is faith. It's me trusting that Jesus is who he says he is, that he will do what he says he will do. So I, I am trusting Christ's word and I'm responding in some practical way, right? There, there isn't real faith if you don't live it out in some practical way, right? So, so you got to hear the word of God. You, if you believe it, you're going you're gonna to act upon it, right? James tells us that in James chapter uh, um, 2. Verse 17 says, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead, right? So, so the kind of faith that's just like, Lord, I believe you, but it doesn't affect my life. Lord, I believe in you, but I'm, I'm not going to respond to you in any way. That's not a real faith, all right? And so what God is working to do in us is to bring about this practical holiness, this practical righteousness in our life. Now, to the, to the degree that you value that, okay, so how important is that to you? 
that God is, is working in your circumstances, in your difficulty, in, in your disease, in your trials, in the difficult people in your life? How important is it to you that God is working in all of that to produce your holiness? In other words, how much do you value that holiness, that, that Jesus-likeness, you becoming less and less like you, more and more like Jesus, how much do you value that in your life? Well, to that degree, you're going to respond to God's discipline, right? So if you value that really highly, then, then, then when God puts hard things in your life, when you go through trials, when you go through seasons of difficulty, you're going to say, okay, this is really tough. I don't know why it's happening. It hurts really bad, but I know that God is working in me. I know that God is bringing about this holiness that will have a great reward, right? Now, if you don't value it very highly, then you might say something like, well, Life really stinks. I don't think God is very good. I'm really mad at him, and so I'm, I'm, I'm not going to run anymore. I'm going to bail out, okay? Well, the writer of Hebrews wants you to know how infinitely important that practical transformation in you is. And so in verse 14, notice what he says. He says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. I know that's pretty important, isn't it? That's pretty important, isn't it? That what he's talking about here is a practical righteousness. Now, when I say practical righteousness or practical holiness, I, I'm making a distinction between the gospel and, and the overflow of the gospel. Okay, so let me explain that. So here you have the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is that I am a broken sinner. I, I'm, I'm busted. I don't love God like I should. I don't love others like I should. I, I don't have a heart for God. And so I am broken. Okay, so God launches his rescue plan and he sends Jesus to live the perfect life, to live the life that I did not live, that I could not live. And then Jesus dies a sacrificial death, paying for my sins so that if I will approach him in faith, if I will put my trust completely in him, then I'll be joined to him and his righteousness flows into me. Did I do anything for that? Did I deserve that? Did I do any good works? No, it's Jesus' righteousness flowing into my life. And my sins are put upon him. And he pays for them. And so I am righteous in the gospel with Jesus' righteousness. Okay? Now, that's not what he's talking about in verse 14, though. In verse 14, what he's talking about is the overflow of the gospel. Okay? So if you put your faith in Christ and you've trusted him and he's made you righteous in him, then God is now working to make you. You're his now. You're his child now, right? So he loves you and he's going to discipline and, and he's working to make you more and more practically righteousness. And what is practical righteousness? Well, that's me treating you like Jesus would treat you, right? Me loving you like Christ would love you. Me loving God like I ought to. Me, me, me living out the gospel in, in, in my work and in my parenting and in my fatherhood and in my, in, in my recreation and my TV watching and in every area of my life. There's this practical right. Does that make sense? There's this practical righteousness. And, and, and so what he's saying here is he's saying if you don't have a practical righteousness, then you don't have a positional righteousness. Does that make sense? you're looking at your life and there's nothing going on you becoming like jesus then are you really connected to jesus you see the mark the mark of a true believer the mark of someone who's connected to jesus righteousness is that god is working in their life to transform it now does that mean perfection okay when you when you hear strive for 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 peace with everyone and the holiness uh without which no one will, will see the lord do you think in your mind's perfection because if you do Man, we're all out, okay? Uh, we're, we're all finished here with this deal. Because 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says, 
if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, okay? That, that's just not, that's not the way it is. We're broken, okay? But, but, but it doesn't mean that we're not moving toward obedience and moving toward practical righteousness. Because if we keep reading in 1 John chapter 2, the next chapter says, And by this we know that we have come to know Him. If we keep His commandments, whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word in Him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may be sure that we're in Him. Whoever says He abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. Okay, so, so we're, it's not perfection, but it is a increasing Jesusness in our life. Okay, Christ-likeness in our life. And so the marks that you're on the right trail are that God is working holiness in you. Now, do we have a, do we have a responsibility in that? Is it just God's working that in us and we just kind of sit back and... You know, God does it. God turns the laser on us. You know, is that, is that the way it is? Absolutely not. Look at verse 14. Strive. Notice that word strive. Do you see that? Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That word strive is a word that means to pursue. It is a word, here's the Greek definition, to move rapidly and decisively toward an object. Okay? What I picture in my mind is that uh, the quarterback hands off to the running back and the running back runs a sweep around the outside and the corner, the cornerback, the outside linebacker sees the sweep. And what does he do? He moves rapidly and decisively toward an object, right? He's, he's hunting. He's, he's going to crush. He's going with it with all his might, all right? So that's what it means to pursue. We're going we're gonna to strive. We're going to pursue peace with everyone and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So what are we doing here? We're working with God. Does that make sense? We're working with God. We're, 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 we're cooperating, all right? And so God has saved us through the gospel. We put our trust in Him. He has given us His righteousness, okay? And now He's working in our life through our struggle, through our pain, through the Word of God, through the people of God, through all these different means to bring about our practical righteousness. And we need to say, that is really valuable. That is incredibly valuable. And so I want to pursue that in my own life, okay? So the marks of a believer are that you're going to pursue a couple things here. Let's take them one, one at a time. You're going to pursue peace with everyone. Now, here's what this does. This blows out of the water those people who say, me, me and, my face is just between me and God. My face just, it's just me and God. I don't care about all you guys. You guys are, just, you know, it's just between me and God. Remember, if you've read any history, there was a, a time in the monastic period uh, back in the Middle Ages where people thought that spirituality was to go get up on the tall mountain and get you a pole about 20 feet in the air and a platform on top, climb up on it, and just stay up there all by yourself, you know? And they thought, that's the way that I'm going to get away from sin, okay? Now, I can see the reasoning by it, right? Get away from all the annoying people, right? Get away from all the irritating people. But let me ask you this. How does one live out his faith without others? How are you going to obey the Bible? How are you going to obey the commands of the Bible? Have you, have you read the Bible? You know what it says? Love one another, be patient with one another, bear with one another, be kind to one another, give to one another, encourage one another, speak truth to one another. Man, that's, all, that's hard to do if there's no other, right? Okay, and so, and so first of all, we live out our faith. We strive. What God is doing in us, what he's doing in us, is he's building Christ-like relationships, all right? So the holiness that's coming about in us is part of that is peace with all men, okay? 
Now, again, there's all kinds of excuses we can try to maneuver to get around this. Well, I'm at peace with everybody. It's just everybody else has a problem with me, you know? Well, hey, you know what? Jesus actually said something about that. He said in Matthew 5, 23, if you're offering your gift at the altar, you're at church, and there you remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar. Go first be reconciled to your brother, and then come quickly and offer your gift. So in that particular instance, Jesus said, hey, if you're a church worshiping, and you remember... You don't got anything against your brother. He's got something against you. It's still your responsibility to pursue, strive for peace with everyone. Let me tell you why that's so important. That's so important because these two are intricately connected. You can't love God and not love your brother. First, first John four nineteen. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Here's what I have found, my friends. When we are not right with one another, when we're not loving one another like like God has called us to love one another, you know what happens? There is a spiritual paralysis that sets in, okay? I'm not going forward in this disciplining process, okay? So so God's discipline upon my life is not it, it, it's not doing what it should do when I am resisting, when I'm resisting getting right with others. Treating others as Christ has treated me. There's a, there's a, there's a spiritually darkness, a, a cloud that settles over us. Anybody identify with that? Man, when you're, when you're not right with somebody, you're not right with your spouse, you're not right with your kids, you're not right. Man, it's hard, to, it's hard to go forward with God. Now, I, I, I'm not saying that, that there has to always be reconciliation because reconciliation takes how many people? Two, Right? For a relationship to be healed, it takes two people. But do you notice what it says here? It says, strive for peace with everyone. Strive. What does that mean? Pursue. Give effort to it. Okay? That's why Romans 12, 18 says, As much as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. As much as it depends upon you. Okay? So, so your responsibility is you pursue it. You strive after it, okay? God, God is disciplining you for your practical holiness, and part of your practical holiness is you living in a Jesus-like relationship with everybody in your life, all right? And so you've got to pursue that. You've got to strive for that. You've you got to join God in His work in your life. And if you do not do so, not only will you harm yourself, okay? You're the person here running in verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. You see the picture there? It's of an endurance race, right? Whenever anybody starts off running, how do they start off? Man, arms swinging, right? Knees going. But at some point in there, weariness, fatigue, we fall on the trail, whatever, and pretty soon the arms are going like this, right? And the knees are wobbling, and we're bloodied, okay? For some of you, it's three or four steps. For others, it might be three miles, you know, maybe, maybe a long ways. But at some point in there, there's a weariness, okay? And what he's saying here is that when you're weary, when you're tripped up, when you're lame, you need to respond. You need to Obey what God's doing in your life. Because if you resist that, what's going to happen? That which is lame is going to be what? Put out of joint. It's hard to resist God. Have you noticed that in your life? Man, what more you resist, the more pressure on your life. Okay? So, so strive for peace with everyone. And, second of all, for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. I would describe this holiness as, as you're, you're being set apart to God. You're becoming like Jesus. You're, you're living in faith and responsiveness to his word. He speaks, you respond. You listen. 
Okay, that, that's a practical holiness. And again, not perfection, but increasing. I've read you many times the passage in Second Peter that says, add to your faith, and it gives all these characteristics like virtue and, and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness. And then at the end of that, in verse 8, it says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing. Increasing. That's what we're looking for. That's what God is doing in this whole race analogy with his discipline. He, he's working in us to increase us in our practical holiness, our love for Him, our Christ-likeness, our relationships with others. Now, what I need you to see in this passage is that this is done corporately, okay? You have an individual responsibility. God is dealing with you as individuals, but we're running this race together. Let me prove that to you. Verse 15. See to it, it's a word that means exercise oversight, okay? So you're, you're, you have oversight over a group of people, the ones that are in your life. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Now, is that just talking about you? No, you're supposed to give oversight to make sure nobody else fails to obtain the grace of God. Keep reading. That no root, this is verse 15, that no root of bitterness springs up, causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. You need to be careful that, that you don't lead other people wrong in the race. Verse 16, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. There is a very corporate nature to this passage. The race analogy breaks down at one crucial point, okay? The crucial point is when most of us think of a race, what do we think of? I want to beat you, right? I want to beat you. And, and so if, if you trip and fall, what do I do? Well, I'll tell you, I, on the mountain bike trail, this happens a lot. If I see that like Robert Donnell wrecks or something, man, I circle around and, and I see if he's okay. You know, I'll make sure he's all right. But I'll just be honest, if Randall wrecks, man, I hit the gas. All right? I mean, I look at that as this is my, this is my opportunity to, to beat him. I want to capitalize on his shortcoming and I want to try to win. I mean, I, I just being real honest, that's what happens. <laughs> Listen, if you, if you take that same mentality into the Christian life, and, and I, I am ashamed to say there's some of that in the church. There's some of that. Competitiveness, God, God's got to whip that out of us that we realize this is not for my glory. This is for God's glory. Most of you guys have been at Lincoln a long time, and so you've, you've heard my notorious Falls Creek story. Uh, Falls Creek is next week. I'm not going, by the way, which after you hear the story, you'll see why. Um, but my first Falls Creek here is about 18 years ago, and, uh, or 18 summers ago, I think it was. And uh, there was some inflatable games, and there was a bungee cord that was in between the inflatable game, and you had two people strapped in, harnessed in, and they were pulling against each other trying to get these footballs. And there's a lady in, in uh, the church, real athletic lady, and she kept challenging me to that game. And she kept challenging me and challenging me and challenging me. And she got the kids all whipped up into a frenzy, and all the boys were on my side, and all the girls were on, on her side. And she kept, because I wouldn't do it, she kept saying I was chicken and everything. And my manhood was on the line. And so finally, I went, let's go. Let's go do it. We took all the whole cabin emptied out. We all went down there, all the boys. And I just knew, man, I, if I don't win this thing, I, and I, it was more than win. I had to like crush because, you know, it's not enough if I like win four to three or something like that. I mean, what does that say about me, you know? 
And so I knew I had I had to get all the footballs. Okay, so you had these footballs velcroed all the way down this line, and you're pulling against the other person. So it takes off, boom, man, the whistle blows. Man, I'm just gunning as hard as I can go, driving, 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 pulling, pulling, pulling. And there's constant resistance on the line. I mean, I'm just, it's everything I got to pull, pull. And I, I take that as she must be doing good too, you know. So I drive all the harder, you know. And I finally I get all my footballs, you know. And I come back and I'm waiting to see the score, you know. You know, how many she get? And, and someone shows me the... Uh, the, the video, and she's just pinned up against that thing. And, and she tried to cheat right off the bat by grabbing the rope, and it pinned her hand, and it cut her hand, so your hand's bleeding, and she's cut there, and it's through there. And, and, and then I get off of the mat, and I start walking over to my shoes, and, and it's squishing in my feet, and I realize my adrenaline hits, the pain comes. I realize I've filleted my skin off the bottom of my feet, driving so hard against that vinyl when it was, when it was hot. And God spoke from heaven. I, I did not hear an audible voice, but I, I heard a very clear and distinct word from God. And it was this word, idiot. That's what it was, you know, <laughs> you stupid. And, and, and God really just taught me a lesson at that point, you know, just about competitiveness. And, and, and especially within the church, my friends, we are running together, together. I don't want you to fall. You shouldn't want me to fall. I don't want your kids to fall. You shouldn't want my kids to fall. You know, I, I don't want to look good at you because you look bad. You ought not want to look good because I look bad. Okay, this is, the race is for God's glory. All right? And so, so he switches gears here and he says, see to it. Give oversight that everybody makes it. Okay? And so we got to watch out for one another. And what are the things that we've got to watch out for with one another? By the way, this is not a new thing to Hebrews, okay? Have you been here through this series? We've seen this over and over again. Hebrews 3, 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. In any of you. Verse 13. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened. We saw it in chapter 10. And we've got to live the Christian life together. And what are we doing? Well, we're... We're making sure that we all finish. How do we do that? Well, look at it. Verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Number one, we're going to make sure that nobody fails to obtain the grace of God. Now, what does that mean exactly? Well, you know what grace is, right? Grace is God dumping his riches into my life. Grace is God's power, his glory, his goodness, his riches. And, and, and he's taking that and, he, and, and he's giving it to me and I don't deserve it and I didn't earn it and I didn't do anything for it. That's what grace is, right? And so when it, when it says here, make sure, see to it that no one fails to obtain, no one fails to receive the grace of God. What is it talking about? Well, let me, let me give you a couple things and I think both these are true and, and I think both are, are fit in the passage and, and he may have meant both. I'm not sure. Uh, but both these are, are certainly options. Number one, he's saying make sure nobody, nobody turns away from the gospel of grace back into a gospel of legalism, Okay. Now, now, the reason I think that fits well is because the whole book of Hebrews is about what? It's about don't turn back, right? You got a group of people that have been living on this works-based religion. I got to be a good person. I got to obey these rules. I got I to do these rituals. And, and, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, no, that's not the gospel. The gospel is you got to be connected to Jesus. And, and these folks are tempted because of persecution to turn back to Judaism, to turn back to the sacrifices. And, and the whole book of Hebrews has been screaming, don't turn back, don't turn back. Jesus is better. What Jesus gives is better. And so it, it fits here 
it would start out by saying, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no one, no one turns away from the gospel to begin to put their hope in their own works, in their Bible reading, in their church attendance, okay? None of that's going to save you, okay? Now, what it also could mean is, is, is basically make sure everybody is plugged into receiving the grace of God because you're going to need that in your Christian life. Now, you, the reason I think this makes sense is because the passage about discipline, okay? So when, when we're being disciplined by God, when we have hardships in our life, we, we turn to God in faith, and what happens? We get, we get grace, okay? And that grace comes through a lot of different means. It comes through the Bible, the Word of God. Remember, there's times where you're convicted, right, in your life that you're not living right, and, and you get in the Word, and God encourages you, and you get obedient through the Word of God or maybe through prayer or through other believers. Remember 1 Peter? 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 11, verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Okay, so, so God gives us grace that we give to one another. And, and, and so it could mean that make sure everybody's plugged into God's grace. You know, what if there are believers that are trying to run the race, but they're, they're, they're isolated? Man, that's, that's a bad thing. It's a bad thing to be an isolated Christian to be unplugged from the people of God, to not be receiving grace through the word, through prayers, through people, through small groups. So it could mean that. Either way, both of them are true. Number two, verse 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Second of all, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. Okay, so what does he say here? He says, make sure that no bitter root crops up in your church and by that bitter root, lots of people fall. They stumble. Okay? Now, what, what is that bitter root? That's a great question, isn't it? This is a quote from the Old Testament. If we go back into Deuteronomy, by the way, the writer of Hebrews quotes the Old Testament all the time. He did last week in our passage. He quoted Proverbs. All right? So we go back to Deuteronomy 29, and here's where it talks about this, this image of this bitter root. Okay? So I'm going to begin reading in verse 18. Verse 19 is kind of the key verse. Beware lest there be among you a man or a woman or a clan or a tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware! lest there be among you a root-bearing, poisonous, and bitter fruit. All right, now verse 19. What does that look like? One who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, he blesses himself in his heart. Do you know what it is to bless yourself in your heart? It's when you, you speak silently to yourself, not to others, right? You're saying something on the outside, but you're saying something different on the inside, okay? So he hears the, the words of the sworn covenant, and he blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. So what is this bitter root? This bitter root is people who come to church. They come to hear the word of God. They hear the word of God. They read the word of God. They're in Sunday school, you know, talking about the Word of God, and on the outside, they're saying the right stuff, but on the inside, you know what they're saying? Not going to do it. Now, now why? Now, we understand how deadly that could be to that person, right? We understand how, how that's going to trip them up in their Christian life. But how's that going to mess other people up? Well, just, just imagine. So let's say you got a dad. you got a dad, and there he is in the pew, and there's his wife, and there's his kids. It's the Dirkses, it's more kids, right? 
There you are. There they are in the pew. Hearing all of them. Hearing the word of God, right? And what if that dad is the kind of dad who he hears the word of God, his family, they all hear it, right? Maybe it's a word on uh, purity. Maybe it's a word on, uh, on, on how you talk to others. Maybe it's a word on kindness. Maybe it's a word on, on forgiveness. And they all hear it. And everybody's there. Amen. 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 What was this good word, Pastor? Amen. Right? And then they sing and they walk out. Dad gets out to the suburban, the truck, pukes up the word of God on the concrete right there, gets it out of his system. In his heart, what's he saying? I'm not going to change. I'll be fine. I'll be fine just the way I am. Do you think nobody sees that? Really? Do we think nobody sees that? Do we think we can, we can hear the word of God and, and, and even if we're agreeing like this, or maybe we're not saying anything, but then we walk out and our family sees us that we did not obey that word. We were saying in our heart, I'll do what I want to do. Wow, that can have a poisonous effect on a family, on a small group. Man, imagine in your small group, people start, don't taking the word of God serious, you know? And everybody's just talking it up, talking about, I mean, you can, you can, people can, can become so conditioned to talking about the Bible and not living the Bible that it becomes poisonous to everybody else. I mean, it's possible to have groups that, man, you talk up the Bible. You know, man, we, let's talk about this. Oh, we ought to love one another. We ought to forgive one another. Boy, we ought to, you know, take care of one another. All right, let's eat now. Boy, I tell you who I can't stand at church. I mean, that's deadly. That's deadly to, to a body. That's poison. Make sure no bitter root comes up. Third thing, verse 16. Again, this is make sure, watch out for each other, watch out for each other, that no one, verse 16, is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. The Bible is saying, make sure, make sure that there's not a careless attitude toward the things of God that comes up in your church. Let's talk about the story of Esau. It's back in Genesis, Genesis chapter uh, 25. Let me give you a little background on the story, okay? So, so you got Abraham receiving the promises and becoming the first man of faith, right? Abraham receives the promise, not the first man of faith, but the father of faith. That's what the Bible calls him. So he hears the promises of God, right? God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you, you your family. Uh, you're going to have your own land. You're going to have a nation. Through you, all the, all the, all the, the families of the earth are going to be blessed through, through the coming of the Messiah. So Abraham has this great promise given. What does Abraham do? He says, yes, Lord, I believe you and he and he leaves his his nation and he wanders in the promised land for his entire life and he's willing even to kill his own son you know but god rescues him but he's but he's willing because he trusts that what god has for him is so worth it right isaac is the next patriarch right we we've got a whole line of people in faith moses remember moses remember what it tells us about moses moses was willing to give up the the fleeting pleasures of egypt trusting that god had something better the reward but, but here you got Esau. Esau's the grandson of Abraham. Okay, so you got Abraham, you got Isaac, and then he, Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau, twins. But Esau is first. He comes out first. And, and, and so to him is given 
supposed to be the promises, right? The birthright. Listen to the story. They're grown up here. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of this red stew for I'm exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and he sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew and he ate and drank and rose, went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. And what exactly did Esau do? Basically what Esau did was he said, the things of God are not valuable to me. That's what he said, right? That's what he said. God had given him this birthright, right? The blessing, okay? And you know what he said? I don't care about that. It's not, it's not valuable. I mean, how valuable is the things of God? How valuable is your holiness? We just talked about that. That's where we started, right? How valuable is your holiness? Okay? So when God's working in your life and disciplining you, how valuable is it? Are you, how much are you willing to endure to say, God, I want holiness? How valuable is that? Esau said, well, it's right below chicken noodle. It's right below chili. You see, Esau was the kind of guy, and by the way, there's lots of these folks who live for what? The now. What can I have right now? What pleasure can I get right now? What instant gratification can I have right now? What will make me, what will, what will give me a thrill right now? I'm not concerned about what God can give. I don't trust him that what he's got is better. I don't trust that what he's bringing is awesome. What I, what I want is whatever I can get now, whatever pleases me now. Esau, as far as just being a man, was, was certainly successful. You know, he was a skilled hunter. He was his father's favorite. He was a man's man. He was successful in business. When Jacob came later in life to greet him, he was a rich man. In fact, he had 400 men with him when Jacob met him later in life. What kind of guy travels with 400 other guys? This guy's pretty successful. But Esau did not, he did not value the things of God. And even later in his life, when he, when he lost the blessing of his father, he was, he was broken, he had tears, but yet he didn't repent. You see, friends, it's different to be sad about things you've lost in your life because of mistakes you've made. That's different than repenting because of your heart toward God. Those are different things. There's a lot of people that are sad because they messed up their life. But that's different than saying, God, I trust that what you have for me is better than anything. Now, let me, let me explain something here because this can be a little confusing. Verse 16 says that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. Now, why, why, why does it bring up sexual morality? It says, make sure there's nobody who's sexually immoral like Esau. And then it tells the story of him selling his birthright that we just read. Now, if you were paying attention to that story, there's, there's no girls there. <laughs> it's him and Jacob, right? I mean, him, Jacob, and a pot of chili. Well, where's the sexual morality coming from? Now, now we do know that, that Esau married several pagan ladies that kind of caused grief to his mom and dad. We know, but I don't think that's what it's talking about. I think it's saying sexual immorality is a very Esau-like sin, right? It's an Esau-like pattern. In other words, none of us probably have a birthright that has the promises of God, all right? So what, what he's telling us to do here is apply this principle. Don't let yourself live for the immediate gratification of now 
and forfeit the promises of God. Because really that's what, sexual immorality is just like that, isn't it? It's, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sin that's very akin to that. What, 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 what is sexual morality? Well, it's, it's, it's when a person says, you know what? The Bible says be pure. The Bible says be holy. The Bible says blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. The Bible says there's, there's great value in, in obeying God with your purity. The Bible says that marriage is a picture of Jesus and the church. The Bible builds up this sacredness, this purity of, 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 of sexual, sexual purity. And what does immorality do? It says, eh, that's not valuable to me. I'll take what I can get right now. I, I'd rather have the, the, the instant gratification of now than I would what God promises to give me. And friends, that, that same sin can be played out in a million ways, can it not? You wake up in the morning, yeah, maybe you got a couple choices on your plate. I can, I can dig into my Bible. It's hard. I'm in lamentations, and man, it's kind of depressing. And, you know, but God tells me that the Word of God you know, will be a blessing to me, that, that it will shape me and form me, and over, over time, staying consistent in it will be a blessing. Or I could, oh, I'll just come right over. I guess I don't even have to turn it on, do I? I got a remote, right? Just come over. Instant gratification. What's going on? What's happening with, uh, what are those people... Uh, uh, Kim, uh, Kim, Kim Carr, yeah, whatever. You know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, they call them something together. They're like a, some kind of freak morph thing. Anyway, I don't know. They call it, she and her guy together, call them something. I got to get better current events. Uh, anyway, what, what's happening on there, you know? Where are, they, where are they at? What are they doing? I mean, instant gratification. I mean, it's, it's, it's played out in a million ways, isn't it? And, and so the Bible's saying be careful that you don't, that you don't not value the things of God. Man. So, verse 14, let me read it again. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. If you're here today and you're a born-again believer, okay? If you're here and you put your faith in Jesus and you have His righteousness and you have His holiness, you know what God's doing in you? He is... He is working to make you practically like His Son. In, in your words, in your relationships, in, in, your, in your habits, in your routine. Man, God is working. Alright, and what, what God is telling you to do now is value that. Value that. And, and strive. Pursue those things in your life. Pursue what God is doing. And then look around you. And, and let's, let's, let's get everybody to finish. Look around you. Who's, who's lame? Who's fallen? Who's struggling? Make sure there's not this root of, of, of I'm going to study my Bible and I'm never going to obey it. I'm just going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it and talk about it, but in my heart, I'm not going to change. That's, that's a dangerous root. Be careful of this Esau-like life that doesn't really value what God has to bring. We're going to be careful of those things. And we're going to help everybody cross the finish line. Amen? Everybody. We want everybody. Let's... Let's get everybody. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. God, thank you for, uh, for your holiness and your grace poured out in our lives. And God, we want to respond to those things. We want to say yes to them. God, we want to, we want to obey you, Father. We want to strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see you. God, we want to see you. 
God, we, we value what you give, what you bring. Your promise is your truth. God, we want that more than anything. In Jesus' name.